This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. At One Hour Air Conditioning and Heating, our trained comfort specialists are here to help improve the air quality of your home. So call 855-1HOUR or visit onehourair.com. Independently owned and operated. Licensed in their respective state or county. Use your mobile phone to get seven minutes of nonstop news from the Las Vegas Review Journal. Seven at seven. Weekdays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. What is up, hockey fans? This is the Golden Edge Podcast, the podcast where the Las Vegas Review Journal talks about hockey. I am Ben Goats, one of your Review Journal Golden Knights beat writers, joined, as always, on the other line by my colleague, Dave Shane. Dave, we just witnessed probably one of the most insane games of the year, Golden Knights 5, Sharks 4, on Wednesday night. We're recording this on Thursday morning. How are you recovering? Well, pretty well, I would say. That was uh, that was kind of a fun game. I guess my knuckles weren't involved in it. I think there's probably a few of the uh, Golden Knights players who woke up today with some sore fists. So they're probably doing a lot, a lot better or, or a lot worse off than I am. So, you know, we're halfway through it. That's the thing. Like, can you believe this? We're halfway through. It's crazy. Absolutely insane. It's insane that... Uh, that game happened the way it happened last night with Mark Stone and Jonathan Marcheseau fighting and Ryan Reeves scoring a goal. It is bizarro land over at T-Mobile Arena. As you mentioned, it took us almost exactly to the halfway point of the season for the Golden Knights. That was game number 27. They, of course, will play 56 this year, so they're one shy of the exact halfway point. That'll come tomorrow. Uh, against the Los Angeles Kings. Uh, the Knights were off today to recover from their wild bender of an evening against the Sharks today, Thursday. They'll pick it back up with their morning skate and then that game on Friday. Uh, totally nuts, but we have a lot to talk about today because we are basically to the halfway point of the season. So we kind of wanted to talk about some midseason stuff, take some stock talk about what Knights may or may not be contending for awards right now. Uh, So hopefully you guys will like that conversation. Before we get into all of it, I want to remind everyone that this podcast is sponsored by One Hour Air Conditioning and Heating. We are also presented by Blue Wire. Uh, Make sure to check out also Dave and I's stuff at ReviewJournal.com. Dave is going to publish a conversation with Knights General Manager Kelly McCrimmon. Today, on a number of different topics, uh, I had a Ryan Reeves story go up this morning after he scored his first goal of the season, like I mentioned last night. And then if you guys could rate, review, subscribe, whatever you do to podcast, please do to this one. We would very much appreciate it. Uh, we did record a little bit later this week because we 
posted a special episode on Monday where we had a uh, pretty much a half hour long conversation with Golden Knights center Cody Glass. It went to a lot of interesting places about kind of his adjustment to the NHL, his roommate situation with uh, defenseman Nick Haig and Dylan Coughlin. So if you guys have some free time, we encourage you to check that one out as well. Uh, so, Dave, as we talked about, the Knights are just really inching up to that halfway point of the season. So, as I mentioned, thought we could get into some mid-season awards talk because I think that's an in-vogue thing to do around the league. As everyone knows, the Knights cleaned up the awards circuit their first year with George McPhee, Gerard Gallant, William Carlson, and Derek England grabbing trophies, but they have not had a major award winner since. Uh, also, we should point out when we dive into this conversation and kind of make our predictions, it's going to be really unpredictable this year. Uh, the awards are going to be so wonky because of just the unique format of this season. Uh, as everyone knows, the Knights are only playing teams within their division. Other teams are only playing teams within their division. So it's really hard to compare you know, different players and different teams when they're just playing completely different schedules. In a normal year, at least there's always, you know, cross-pollination, for lack of a better word, where everyone's playing everybody and you have some sort of a more even playing field. I mean, that's just completely out the window this year. And I know personally, Dave, I have watched a majority of like West Division hockey in my free time. If, you know, I'm scrolling through NHL TV on a weekday night, the Knights aren't playing. I'm checking out, you know, the Wild or the Blues or the Avalanche. If they're on, I'm not, you know, necessarily gravitating toward the East or uh, the Central, quote unquote, the Central that contains Tampa Bay. So I don't know. Is that the same for you? Have you uh, gotten a great sense of what's going on league-wide this year compared to a normal year? Couldn't tell you what's going on in the East. Could barely tell you what's going on in the Central. Other than I know everybody got up in arms when uh, Nikita Kucherov came back and uh, skated around a little bit of practice. Everybody seemed to think the Lightning were going through some kind of salary cap circumvention or whatever. But nah, I'm so focused on you know the teams that they play that I've barely even you know watched anything else uh, unless I have some like free time and it's one of those games that happens to be on you know NBCSN at four o'clock. Or, uh, you know, on NHL Network, maybe they have like one of the Canadian games or something like that. Um, but yeah, it, it does seem very tunnel vision this year where, you know, you're kind of just focused on, you know, what's in front of you and the, and the old, you know, the teams that you have to worry about. Um, it's fun. I don't think it's going to go in, the, in my story, but I'll, I'll tell you this. Like, it was a question that I asked Kelly McCrimmon, you know, just how, how, hard is it to gauge your own team? You know, as you're looking at this through a manager's lens, you're only getting, you know, a small sample size of your own team, you know, and he understood that. And and it was an interesting conversation because I think from his perspective, you know, they feel like they probably have a good gauge on, on this team and that there are, you know, there's enough diversity within their division that they know that they're going to have to get through two, really good teams regardless. So yeah, it's, it's an interesting um, view, I guess, uh, in terms of, how, you know, how, do, how are you able to gauge your own team? How good is this player's season versus that player's season? But yeah, I think it'll be fun to, 
to chat about this because I certainly have some thoughts. I, th- I certainly think it factors into, you know, how these awards are viewed. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see, you know, what other people take into consideration as well. Uh, as a reminder, as we go through kind of these major trophies at the NHL awards every year and go through which nights players might be candidates right now or non-players, depending on the category. Um, a reminder that most of these are voted on the professional uh, hockey writers association. Some are not, and we'll try to point out which ones those are because there are some major categories that actually you can't blame the writers for if you get mad about how the vote turns out. Uh, but like the majority of them are. So I want to start obviously with the biggest one, which is uh, the Hart Trophy, which basically goes to the league MVP, uh, Dave. I don't know if you are aware, but there's this player north of the border named Connor McDavid who is doing pretty all right for himself so far. He had a monster game against the Flames last night, and he has uh, 56 points in 32 games, which is pretty good. But uh, seems good. Yeah. Factoring in that there still, you know, have to be three finalists for this award and other people can certainly enter the conversation. Can you make a, a case for Mark Stone at this point? Yeah, I think you can. I think part of it is, you know, the 56 points is also in let me let me check here. I actually have this up. The 56 points is in 32 games. So that is six more than Mark Stone has played. Obviously, he missed the one game for the Golden Knights. So if, you know, you continue Mark Stone's pace, which recently has been, you know, almost two points a game. You know, I don't know. Let's just hypothetically say Mark Stone, you know, ends up at like 40 points. You know, I mean, that's much more respectable. It's much closer to, you know, what Connor McDavid's done. It's a weird award in terms of like, I don't think you can just straight go off the points. And then here's my other thing with this. And I'm going to, you know, maybe push back on this. A little bit as well in, in different cases. I think some of the offense and what's going on in the North Division has to be taken into consideration with all of this. And not that they're like padding stats and things like that, but they're padding stats and things like that. Uh, you know, they're getting a little bit of a, I don't want to say a break, but it's a different sort of schedule. And yeah, I mean, the Knights also have teams that are you know, on the bottom end of, the, of a division as well. But the, the way the North is playing, it's like wide open 1980s hockey and, and the, the stats are skewed a little bit in that regard. So, you know, I look at this and I'm, you know, full disclosure, like member of the PHWA, I vote on this stuff. So I'm going to have a vote on on the Hart Trophy. And I look at this thing and, and, you know, for me, it's it's almost like, okay, you take the four MVPs from each division and then... Then you go from that four and then you pick one. And if it's like McDavid, you know, Mark Stone, Patrick Kane, and I couldn't even tell you who, you know, who the guy in the East should be right now. But if you go from those four, I think Mark Stone has every bit of a chance to say, you know, that he's the most valuable out of that group. No, absolutely. And obviously what comes into play with Mark Stone is uh, Connor McDavid is just a spectacular offensive player uh but mark stone is a two-way guy known for his defense as well and uh connor mcdavid has had some years where uh, the offense has kind of been probably too big uh, in terms of if you're doing scales for offense defense uh 
the offense was coming a little bit at the expense of the defense. That's not a case you could probably make this year because the Oilers have just been so much better with him on the ice uh, than without. Uh, some other people that are probably going to get consideration, uh, McDavid's sidekick in Edmonton, Leon Dreisaitl, who actually won the award last year, is uh, also pretty good. Austin Matthews, also in the North Division, so you they got a lot of uh, offensive firepower there, Dave, uh, is going to be in the mix. He's the leading goal scorer in the league right now. And if those uh, pesky uh, Chicago Blackhawks who are kind of hanging around in the Central Division end up making the playoffs, uh, Patrick Kane might end up uh, getting some consideration too. But as you said, if you kind of do it that way where you go by division, Mark Stone's potentially the MVP of the West right now. He's the captain on the best team. He's got a lot going for him, you know, besides just the points. Uh, that'll certainly make it an interesting discussion if he keeps it up uh, by the time kind of the May rolls around and the regular season ends. I think, you know, here's the thing with Stone is, again, you know, it's like you said, it's the two-way stuff. It's all the other things. It's the value. It goes to the question of the award and that word valuable, MVP, most valuable player, and like how you, I guess, define that. And, and again, it goes, you know, a couple of years ago, Taylor Hall won the award with New Jersey. And there was like a big debate. Can a guy win the award if his team doesn't make the playoffs and all those sorts of things? So, you know, again, I mean, Mark Stone has is, is just been phenomenal. I mean, you look at the numbers. He's got 34 points. You know, we go through the plus minus stuff and all that. We're, we're going to talk about the Selkie. And I think maybe it's a little more relevant, you know, discussion at that point when we talk about, you know, plus minus and some of the other metrics. But, you know, the, the one that sticks out to me right now is the game winning goals. And, and when he had the one the other night and I saw the stat that it was the sixth of the year, I was like, holy cow. Because I, I think everybody, you know, in my mind, I think it feels like Max Pacioretty is the one who's been, I guess, quote unquote, clutch. You know, and kind of scoring the game when he, you know, key times, overtime, all of that. But, you know, there, there's different ways to measure all of this and there's different ways to look at it. I mean, it, you know, Patrick Kane, Blackhawks are okay. I mean, they're fighting for a playoff spot. And I think Patrick Kane is certainly the guy, you know, actually, you, know, you, you want to know who the guy who I think we're going to bring him up to uh, when we talk about the Selkie is Barkov. I, I swear, I looked the other day at the standings and I hadn't in a while and was like, holy cow, I had no idea that Florida was this good this year. Like, it, it didn't even click. It, it doesn't even register. And Alexander Barkov has had a huge year so far and he's he's a major reason that they've been so good. Yeah, no, he's been incredible. Uh, Mark Stone, as you mentioned, is second in the NHL with six game-winning goals. Patrick a little bit further down the list at four, but uh, Stone is leading in that stat. We'll see, like I said, what kind of uh, heart consideration he gets. It's going to be really hard to steal too many first-place votes from McDavid with the way that uh, he's playing right now. But uh, even if Stone gets high up on the ballot, that's obviously a very good sign for the Golden Knights. Yeah. Well, the other thing, too, the other thing too really quick with McDavid is the voting block. You know, I mean, that's the other reality here. Like, there's a big Canadian voting block that you know, that loves Connor McDavid and, you know, it works with other sports too. There's a West coast time change and certain people just don't get to see Mark stone right now. There's no games at, you know, four o'clock and the, the golden Knights aren't traveling to play Toronto and, and all these other, you know, New York big market teams that 
that he could be showing off in. So in that way, uh, that might actually hurt him in the voting, to be quite honest. Yeah, we'll have to see. Uh, But the next category we're going to talk about doesn't feature, at least right now, any big uh, Canadian team contender. So we'll see how that affects things. And that, of course, is the Vesna, which, of course, goes to the best goalie. This is one that is actually voted on by the NHL's general managers and not the writers, not the PHWA. Uh, Marc-Andre Fleury, somewhat famously, has never been a finalist in his potentially Hall of Fame career. Is this the year that he finally breaks through into that top three, Dave? Looks like it. Easy answers. Looks like it. Uh, We're going to talk about this, I think, down the road here. We'll see if he continues to, I guess, get enough starts. Maybe that's the best way to put this. Is it such a, it's such a stat driven award. And if his numbers, because he continues to split time, once Robin Leonard comes back, you know, maybe doesn't stack up with one of these other guys that we're going to talk about. That might be the only thing, but yeah, right now, right now, I'll tell you what I not only top three, I think it's a two horse race. I think it's two people right now. I think it's Marc-Andre Fleury and, and, you know, the big cat. At One Hour Air Conditioning and Heating, our trained comfort specialists are here to help improve the air quality of your home. So call 855-1HOUR or visit onehourair.com. Always on time, or you don't pay Independently owned and operated. Licensed in their respective state or county. Look for 7 at 7 local streaming news from the Las Vegas Review Journal. Find it on your smartphone at the RJ app. Or it's available on Roku TV, Fire TV, and Apple TV. Download the app and you're ready to go for 7 at 7. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Hey guys, it's Mike. As you know, I adopted my pup Rocky from a local rescue. When people ask me what kind of dog Rocky was, I was always stumped. I used an Embark Dog DNA test to decode my most puzzling questions about Rocky. You can also learn about your dog's inner secrets with Embark, the highest-rated dog DNA test. Unlock over 350 breeds and screen for over 200 genetic health risks. Save $50 on a breed and health kit with promo code KIT at EmbarkVet.com. Again, that's promo code KIT. Yes, the big cat is Andre Vasilevsky of the Tampa Bay Lightning. Has already won a Vesna Trophy, of course, won the Stanley Cup uh, with the Lightning last year. So Vasilevsky and Fleury are basically just like neck and neck um, in the kind of the key goalie statistics. Uh, Fleury has a 1.87 goals against average. Vasilevsky's is 1.9. Fleury has a 9.33 save percentage. Vasilevsky's is 9.32. I mean, it is insane how close these two these guys are. Uh, Vasilevsky, for those that care about you know goaltender wins, is slightly ahead. He's uh, 18 3 and 1. Fleury is 16 and 5. Um, the key question, as you mentioned, Dave, is you know, Fleury started the season in a you know legit 50-50 timeshare. The fact that he was able to get all of these starts with Robin Leonard sidelined with a concussion, which we learned um, yesterday. Leonard revealed that he was diagnosed with a concussion, and that's why he's been gone uh, for more than a month. He was Flurry's backup last night against the Sharks, so he's getting closer to a return. Um, 
But that allowed Fleury to kind of go on a run and pile up some of these statistics. If Vasilevsky kind of keeps getting 80% of the Lightning starts the rest of the way and they continue to be a President's Trophy contender and Fleury kind of shifts back into that 50-50 role, that's going to be the one you know, key area that could end up making the difference in a very tight race as it looks like right now. And I kind of agree with you that there doesn't seem to be that third guy yet. Uh, if I had to pick a guy right now, it looks like Philip Grubauer of Colorado could be in that mix because he's really had to carry the goaltending load for that team. And they're also very good, but Right now, it does feel like Flurry and Vasilevsky are ahead of the pack. Yeah, and maybe I'd throw uh, Semyon Varlamov in there as well. He's had a pretty good, pretty good run with the uh, with the Islanders here. Nine twenty six save percentage, just a smidge over two for goals against, and in his uh, twenty one starts. So I think he would he would probably be there. And then I'll tell you what, <laughs> to be quite honest, is uh, Kapo Kakinen in Minnesota. Is if he continues to do this. He's going to kind of be one of those trendy, I think, stat-driven sort of guys. But, you know, here's here's the reality, too. I mean, as, as we go through Flurry's stats and, like, you know, I think you mentioned he's, like, first in save percentage, goals against average. He's tied for second in wins, first in shutouts. He's third in goals saved above average, which is, you know, kind of a fun, uh, you know, a little more analytic stat that kind of measures – you know, basically how many hard saves you're making, how, how, how difficult has it been on you and, and how much are you carrying your team in a lot of ways, all those numbers stack up and there's a sentimental, I guess, vote here or factor with flurry. And and like you mentioned, Vasilevsky won it last year and he's probably going to have better numbers by the end of this. He's going to likely play more games He's playing for an exceptional team in a division with, with you know, cannon fodder that they can beat up on, quite honestly. Uh, he's going to be able to put up Vesna stats, Vasilevsky is. But if Marc-Andre Fleury is anywhere in the, in the neighborhood, if he, if he comes even close statistically, and then you factor in what he did and the workload that he had to shoulder... And the fact that he not only kept them afloat, but kept them in first place uh, right among the teams that are, you know, leading the league in points percentage. I think that's going to weigh heavily in his favor in the GM's minds because it's the general managers that vote on this particular award. And, you know, we've seen some different things with the voting with the Vesna. There's some some weird, you know, shifts. There's some guys that maybe statistically you would think would be shoe ins and some guys over the years that that have won it that maybe you kind of, you know, I don't know, kind of go hmm. So not to say that Flurry would be a hmm kind of pick this year uh, if his statistics hold up, but I definitely think there's some feel good to all of this. That hey, he's never been close. This might be the one time where he is very deserving, and that if we can give it to him, let's do it. So. We'll see, like you said, I think the workload and just can he continue with this pace? Those are probably the two biggest questions. But if he gets to the finish line and he's, you know, anywhere in the neighborhood of Vasilevsky, Vasilevsky you know, in terms of the, the main statistics, I think Flurry might get the nod. Yeah, we'll have to see. It'll be really interesting. As I mentioned earlier, Flurry has never been in the top three of the Vesna voting. He was fifth 
the night's inaugural season and he would have had a really good case to win that year if he had stayed maybe a little bit healthier. He was fourth the night's second season and then he finished in the top 10 twice in Pittsburgh. Uh, And certainly he's having one of the best seasons of his career right now at age 36 for the Golden Knights. And, uh, you know, it's looking pretty good for him to uh, finish higher than he ever has so far. Uh, Next, uh, Dave mentioned it earlier when we were talking about the Hart Trophy, and that is the Selkie Trophy, which goes to the best defensive forward in the NHL. It's a weird award because it usually shakes out to it's actually the best two-way forward, and, uh, you know, they don't usually pick a uh, pure defensive forward who's got, like, 12 points on the year or something. It's always someone who, you know, does pretty well on the offensive end as well. Uh, Stone is a fascinating case study because he was a finalist for this award. His first season with the Knights is also his last season in Ottawa, but he lost to St. Louis Blues center Ryan O'Reilly. And Stone, at the time, was the first winger to finish in the top three since 2007, and no winger has won this award since 2003. Uh, You know, for people that don't know or don't necessarily like recall like obviously centers typically do have more defensive responsibility they have to play kind of deeper in the defensive zone they have to play higher in the offensive zone a lot of times and kind of make sure that they're being responsible at both ends that being said it shouldn't be impossible necessarily for a winger to win this award if they really deserve it so at this point dave how much do we think Stone has a shot to break this, uh, what is now, I guess, like 17, 18 year drought for his position? Okay, first off, let me start by saying this. And we vote on the Selkie. And if they pull my membership for saying this, like, you know, oh, well, the voting for this award is stupid. It's just dumb. People vote on just the wrong stuff with all of this. And you mentioned it like it's become a two way like points thing. Like you have to score to be able to get consideration for the Selkie. It's a defensive award. Like a couple years ago, I was on this thing where I was like, Pierre-Edward Belmer should be the Selkie candidate. We're talking about Mark Stone. Like it should be for those types of guys, like the shutdown, you know, defensive forwards. But since it's not, yeah, absolutely. This, this should and might even be the year that Mark Stone wins the Selkie. And maybe it's one of those, well, we can't give you the heart because... Connor McDavid and some of these other guys are, you know, pretty darn good. Can't give you that one, but we're going to give you the Selkie and it wouldn't just be like a consolation prize. Like he's deserving this year. The plus minus we can, you know, that's fine. We can talk about that and whether that's a warranted stat, but like, I still think it holds a little bit of value. And then there's all these other just fun defensive stats with Mark Stone and the takeaways that he's always, you know, near the top of the list or at the top of the list in the league for, um, you know, Gary Lawless, the Golden Knights insider, uh, a few days ago had a really fun stat, and I don't know if it holds up, but basically it was when Mark Stone was out on the ice on the penalty kill, the Knights were plus three shot differential. So they had given up four shots when he was on the ice on a power play, and they had had seven of their own. Like, that's crazy that they're generating more shorthanded chances than power plays are when he's on the ice. There's a whole lot of fun ways to measure defensive metrics now and there's some some folks around the league some men and women who are really good 
with the analytics and delving into it and making a case for this guy or that guy and face-off percentages and, you know, and all these different things. And it's basically because like flat out honest, nobody knows how to, you know, basically measure a defensive forward. Like, okay. So the guy, the last winger to win it, I believe is Yuri Lettinen, you know, like, why wouldn't you say that Mark Stone is in the same category as Yuri Lettinen defensively and, and two way and 200 foot game and all that sort of things. I, he's right in that class. He's got all of the numbers to back this up. It's just a weird thing because it always comes down to, like you said, a center. And then it just comes down to reputation. You know, Couturier won it last year. Ryan O'Reilly's, you know, always around it now. Patrice Bergeron is just, you know, a perennial candidate. And it's almost like I think people just default to him because they don't really know any better. But if if anybody's going to get sort of a trendy pick and a chic pick, you know, down the stretch here, I think Mark Stone's going to get a lot of buzz for it. And I think there's a lot of good reasons to back him up. Yeah, I think the point that you made of like this being a potential spot to reward him um, if he's not going to get first place heart votes is really interesting because he is a guy that, you know, if you look at a lot of advanced metrics or advanced ways to kind of grade players, I'm thinking of like Evolving Wild is an analytics site that does a lot of this stuff. Um, he's very, very high up in their just overall player ratings because of how much two-way value he brings to the ice. So I'll be interested to see if that's, you know, something that shows up in this voting. As we mentioned earlier, I think Alexander Barkov is a guy that I've seen get a lot of buzz for this award. Uh, he is uh, from Florida and, of course, is a center. Um, and then one guy in the Knights' own division that seems to be getting a lot of love right now is uh, Minnesota's Ewell Erickson Eck. Um, and he's a fascinating case because, as we kind of discussed earlier, I don't think He's the typical kind of sulky candidate. He's more of a true shutdown player where he uh, will match up, especially when the Wild are at home, against the other team's top line. And his primary job will be don't give up goals. And he actually did a really good job on the Knights' first line during that uh, two-game sweep Minnesota had over the Knights uh, You know, the other week. I think his line, one of those games, was a plus two against uh, Stone's line. So he's scoring a little bit more this year than he typically is. So maybe that pushes him into, you know, higher consideration than he normally would be because he's not a very, you know, typical, like, quote unquote, skill guy that's supposed to get you a lot of points. But he, you know, is also a center and a guy that could factor in to some ballots as well. Uh, I want to go kind of rapid fire through some other awards because I think those are the three main ones that the Knights are going to be talked about and have a good chance in all three of them to, if not be finalists, be kind of higher up on all the awards. Uh, next, I wanted to quick mention the Lady Bing, which is the quote-unquote most gentlemanly player award, which is award category that is confusing, makes no sense. It's very weird. It's also weird that the writers work on it because it essentially almost always goes to the best player that has very few penalty minutes, which I just think if you want to make it like, you know, guy that's great with the refs or like plays a clean game or something, have the officials vote on it or something. And I, I think that opens it up to people then calling the referees biased when they don't call penalties. Defensemen, defensemen need to win the Lady Bing one of these years. It's always a forward. So there's a lot of weird kind of biases in here. I will mention uh, William Carlson has already won this award once. 
and he has zero penalty minutes this season. So he probably has to be in that conversation, but the conversation is so wonky and weird and no one really knows what to do with it. So I, I honestly don't know how to judge his chances only to say that, Hey, he has zero penalty minutes that year. So that's kind of a, a neat stat. Um, quick going over to the Norris, which is of course best defenseman. Uh, Alex Petrangelo isn't uh, having, you know, a first season in Las Vegas that makes him a big, big contender for that award, which I don't think is a surprise to anyone that's been kind of listening to us. And obviously now he's hurt, which kind of further takes him out of consideration. Uh, Shea Theodore is on a recent bit of a tear, which kind of maybe pushes him back into this conversation. He's got 22 points in 24 games, which is obviously very, very good. Uh, His underlying numbers, kind of the advanced analytics in terms of shot attempts percentage, scoring chance percentage, are not as strong as they usually are. That's in part because he's had to fill in for Petrangelo so, so much uh, because he's been out. And so he's gotten some tougher assignments five on five. He's defending better players where normally, you know, like last year, Nate Schmidt and Braid McNabb would kind of do the heavy lifting five on five and allow uh, Theodore and then later in the year, Alec Martinez to kind of clean up against, you know, lesser competition. I guess do you see him pushing into this conversation, Dave? This is one that I think is like pretty crowded right now. There's a lot of good candidates, not like a, oh my gosh, this is the guy right now. So he could potentially get in the mix. I don't necessarily know if he is right now. Yeah, I wouldn't say right now. I think he faded away a little bit just in the last month. I think the biggest thing for him to jump back in the race would just be straight points. Like if he goes on an absolute heater and he's been on one recently, but if he just goes on one of those heaters where all of a sudden you start looking at his numbers, if he starts climbing over a point per game and there, because like you said, I think right now Victor Hedman is seems to be everybody's sort of pick. And I think that's more or less because there's not a guy like last year where John Carlson was posting, you know, a whole boatload of points and Roman Yossi was like right there with them. And, and you kind of had one guy running away with offense and one guy who was a little more, you know, two way, but was, was matching the offense. There's not really a guy like that right now. And it feels like if, if maybe Shea Theodore was able to, you know, assert himself that way and separate himself in any sense, you know, from the pack, maybe, Maybe like I'm sorry, I'm I'm kind of I'm going through right now with like the defenseman's stats right now. I mean, Tyson Berry has 28 points, leads all defensemen. Victor Hedman's 27. I mean, I think Jeff Petrie's had a good year. 11 goals as a defenseman is going to catch, you know, a lot of people's eyes. But they're really, yeah, there's just not that runaway guy right now. And I think if Shea Theodore really jumped up offensively, that might be the the one thing that that could that could help get him into the into the mix. Yeah, it really looked like Colorado's uh, Kale McCarr, who of course won Rookie of the Year last year, was potentially going to grab hold of this award and take the next step in his career, but he's been hurt, so that certainly hurt his candidacy. Um, I think Hedman, who just won the Conn Smythe Trophy for playoff MVP for the Lightning, has you know a Norris Trophy in his back pocket, uh, plays, I mean, like crazy minutes for the Lightning. I mean, he's certainly going to always be a favorite, and as you said, I think Petrie will get some love potentially too as a guy who's had a good career but hasn't necessarily had this kind of crazy good of a year yet. But we'll we'll see with that one. 
Um, Jack Adams, real quick. Uh, Knights are obviously doing very, very well. Uh, standings wise, in the you know points wise, they are at this moment first in the league in points percentage after their win against San Jose last night. So I think they kind of have to be, you know, like a President's Trophy caliber winning team for Pete DeBoer to potentially get Coach of the Year consideration. Normally, the Jack Adams goes to kind of the most surprising team, the team that has, you know, improved the most. Uh, So right now that really looks like uh, Florida's Joel Quinville because they went from kind of a borderline playoff team this year to where they're tied for second in points percentage. Uh, behind the Knights with the Lightning. So he's a guy that I could see getting a lot of love. Or Chicago's Jeremy Colleton, because that was a team that basically like put out a letter saying, we're rebuilding, and now they're in the playoff conversation. So unless you know the Knights keep up this kind of torrid pace, get run away with the President's Trophy, it's just hard to see a lot of people getting behind uh, Pete DeBoer right now. Even though, obviously, I think most people can agree maybe you know some people won't because they still just don't like that he came over from the sharks but he's he's seemed to have done a pretty good job so far this year dave yeah 100 percent. even going back to last year i mean it's funny that was a question i asked kelly mccrimmon and just you know hey how much credit should pete DeBoer get for for this team's success and and what the record reflects uh, yeah it's a it's a hard thing like i was thinking about some other guys um you know, Sheldon Keefe in Toronto, if they continue their run, will probably get some some attention. I think the guy actually in the Knights division, Dean Evison's done a really good job with Minnesota, not to like continue to pump Minnesota's tires, but I, I was I've been impressed with them. Um I think that's gonna be a dangerous team, you know, down the down the road here in a little bit in a month and a half, two months, you know, once the playoffs get going. I, I don't I don't know that teams wanna see them right now, especially if they continue to get goaltending. Um but yeah, I think sometimes it's harder to coach the team with the expectations and to actually live up to and exceed those expectations. So in that regard, I do think Pete DeBoer should get some consideration. It's just probably going to be hard for him. Yeah, there's a crowded field. As you mentioned, there might be a guy in his own division that gets more love because the kind of surprising team pick is more of the traditional Jack Adams vote. Though I will point out as for all the good things that Dean Evison done has done, and I think he's actually done a really good job this year and does deserve consideration for this award. It would be really hard for me to pick a team that's a dead last in power play by three percent and say, yes, that is the coach of the year. So Dean, get get that power play clicking and we'll talk about it. That power play is dirt, you're right. That's 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 a tough look for yeah, a guy to 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 praise his coaching when that's happening. Uh, last one, which is just really kind of a, a funky award, which uh, has not been, I think, ever discussed in uh, Golden Knights land, is that there are awards that go out every year basically automatically for, you know, the scoring leader and all that stuff. And there is the Jennings Trophy, which goes to the team that allows the fewest goals in the NHL. The Knights, as of right now, have allowed the fewest goals in the NHL, basically thanks almost entirely to Marc-Andre Fleury because uh, he's been getting the bulk of the starts in net. And, of course, Robin Leonard, even when he did make five starts earlier this season, was not necessarily performing to his peak capabilities. So uh, the Knights have allowed 60 goals so far this year. That is three fewer than the Boston Bruins. So if they keep that up, uh, Flurry and Leonard, and I guess they'll have to share it with uh, Logan Thompson and Oscar Dance. They all get a little trophy 
though if I were Marc-Andre Fleury, I would uh, negotiate a very aggressive timeshare since right now he has done basically all of the work for that award so far. Uh, that's our midseason awards check-in with the Golden Knights because they're doing so well. Like I mentioned, they're first in the league in points percentage as we sit here on Thursday morning. Crazy coincidence, they have some pretty good chances at a lot of awards. We don't know if they will win any right now. As we talked about, they're still a long way to go. And also this year is just so weird and wonky to try to judge these things and stack guys up against each other. So it's going to be difficult when kind of the chips end up all falling into place at the end of the season. Uh, But that's going to do it for this edition of the Golden Edge podcast. As a reminder, we are sponsored by One Hour Air Conditioning and Heating. We are also presented by Blue Wire. Uh, Thank you guys so much for listening. As a reminder, please rate, review, subscribe. Whatever you do to podcasts, please do to this one. We had our Cody Glass special episode on Monday that we really hope you guys listen to. And of course, check out all our written work at reviewjournal.com. Dave was hinting at it throughout the episode, but he'll publish uh, his conversation with General Manager Kelly McCrimmon today, Thursday, as we're recording this. And uh, I've got plenty of good stuff up as well. Uh, Thanks for listening, everyone. And we'll talk to you guys again real soon. One-hour air conditioning and heating, our trained comfort specialists are here to help improve the air quality of your home. So call 855-1-HOUR or visit onehourair.com. Always on time or you don't pay Independently owned and operated. Licensed in their respective state or county. Please check out our new 7 at 7 newscast weekdays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Get every bit of local news you need in seven minutes from the Las Vegas Review Journal. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran. Marvelous Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.